I'm Evelyn, and I'm a geoholic. Welcome back, Geoholics, episode 136. Something about that song. I hope I'm not the only one that, have, that has seen this Saturday Night Live skit, but there's a Saturday Night Live skit with Paul Rudd when this song is like featured in the skit, and it is the funniest freaking thing. So every time I hear the song, I think of that Saturday Night Live Paul skit. Rudd and Saturday Night Live? Yes. Yep, just Google Paul Rudd, and I don't want to know, and you'll see that skit. It's hilarious. So uh, last week was a lot of fun. I got to tell you, and I, <laughs> I may have had too much fun, but I well, had a blast. It was a blast. There might've been a little, um, overindulging by a few people. You think? Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm pretty certain of it. Everybody but PETA. Uh, but it yeah. was, that's because it's morning at her house at, at that time of true. day. Yes. But yes. it was great. We got a lot of really positive feedback, a lot of funny remarks, um, some people following up with questions afterwards and stuff like that. So, uh, I think it was a success on, uh. I can tell sure. you that uh, the icebreaker questions, uh, I carried that over through the weekend and nice. the rest of the week, and yes. it spawned a lot of uh, good conversation and a lot of laughs. It just does. going through the, you yes. know, the ones that we asked and yes. getting more feedback mm-hmm. and all the things I wish I would have said. You mm. know? Of course. Yep. There's always that. So I'm pretty stoked about this cast of characters that we have, and uh, this evening we have, of course... Producer Sean, thanks for being here, my friend. Hello, hello. Um, really excited about the conversation we're going to have this evening. And we have PETA, Survey Geek Girl, Cox with us. Hey, PETA. Hello, how are you going? Uh, go, go, how am I going? I'm going well, I think, is the proper response. <laughs> yes, you are going how well. How are you today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Sorry. Anything? Uh, anything new in your world? Oh, no, it's just cold over here. Hmm. I'm freezing. Uh, sorry to hear that. You're all That's bundled up. For us. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got to mention something. So my mom actually listened to last week's episode, and she sends mm-hmm. me a text, right? And she goes, we just love PETA. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Oh, I love your mom. So my, 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 my mom is a, uh, a PETA fan. Nice. <laughs> it's hilarious. Nice. All right, let's get on with this. Uh... Sean, tell us about that opening number. Uh, believe it or not, guys, that was Fleetwood Mac. Mm. A song called I Don't Want to Know. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people are familiar with these guys. Fleetwood Mac are a British-American rock band formed in London in 1967. Great year. Great year. A lot of things A lot of, a lot formed of great things formed in 1967. And, and became a thing in 1967, yes. including yes. Fleetwood Mac, who have sold more than 120 million records worldwide, making them one of the world's best-selling bands. In 1979, the group was honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 1998, the band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and received the Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music. In 2018, the band received the Music Hairs Person of the Year Award from the Recording Academy in recognition of their artistic achievement in the music industry and dedication to philanthropy. Um. you know what? I was shocked that, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the first time we've used a Fleetwood Mac song. On, really? Yes. On any episodes, first Fleetwood Mac song. So I was really excited that our guests this evening. 136 episodes mm. in. Yep. And wow. first time one of the 
world's best-selling bands mm-hmm. has been on. Yep. Very interesting. Yep, because as you know, when you're a guest on the Geoholics, you have input on the music that's played. Mm-hmm. And uh, our guest this evening, of course, is a Fleetwood Mac fan. And the one thing I'm going to add, Stevie Nicks, okay, she is hot in a really dark and mysterious kind of way. Does anybody else agree with me? Uh, I, would ha- I would have to agree, and a lot of it's the voice. That yeah. raspy, mm-hmm. you know, deep but melodic yep. kind of, I, I don't know what it is. It's, Sexy. I mean, I could go without the two-pack-a-day smoking, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that voice that goes with it is... It's yes, very yes. sexy. There's something about it. Maybe it's like the uh, the scarfs. She like has those like flowing scarfs hanging from her arms and everywhere. It's just something about her. Just mysterious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I, I would agree. It's um, yeah. yeah, mysterious is a is a good word for it. And she, I know that she resides here in the valley. And I'm yes, just that's like, correct. Someday oh, I hope to yay. like bump into her at the Circle K or something. Well, I mean, I wish. I mean, I see Alice Cooper like once a month around town, but I wish I would see her as much as I do him. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Maybe we'll get her on the show. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you never yeah, know. Think, things can happen. Things, you never know. <laughs> Just got to ask. Okay, here we are in the Diamondback Landsurveying Studio. Thanks to uh, Trent Keenan, of course, for his continued generous support of the show. And um, <clears throat> I got to think about this. I'm typically the first person to arrive at the studio you know, from week to week. Sure. And I walk in and most times it's like the day after a frat party. There's like <laughs> glasses of dried up whiskey and freaking condoms and shit everywhere. And I'm just like, what happened last week? And then I got to try to figure out and re- try to remember what we did. But I'm Hello, sick of doing the dishes and having to clean house every week. Um. I don't know how to comment on some of those items, but um, I I what do realize we need to get some dishes done. Really? I, uh, Peter, I don't know. You know, after we finished, I left. I don't know what these guys did. So hey, it was Mark Taylor. He was in the house. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's a lot. He was coming on to Young Nick Slosser quite a bit. So maybe after we left, who knows? Yeah, there was a, some dynamics there. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Can I just say I'm glad I'm sitting over here yeah. on the other side of the world. You're much safer in that seat. <laughs> there yes. is. Yes, you are very safe where you are right now. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Shout out to this week's featured friend of the program being Mentoring Mondays. Pete, I believe you have this. I do have this. Do you ever wish that you could have a weekly cup of coffee with like-minded professionals, surveying professionals? We are here to tell you that you can do just that by participating in the virtual Mentoring Mondays for Land Surveyors program. This is a weekly Zoom meeting featuring live Q&As on your favourite surveying topics. Every Monday, the forum is hosted by a rotating series of guest speakers who are amongst the best in the surveying business. Think of Mentoring Mondays as the weekly office hours of the surveying profession. So whether you are a freshman in college or a 50-year professional land surveyor looking to contribute your wisdom and experience, Mentoring Mondays is for you. To find out, simply visit www.mentoringmondays.xyz Z. <laughs> well done, Peta. Um, I do want to give a shout out. Um, 
like a lot of people listening, I'm sure that you're on Trent's uh, email distribution list. And he sent mm-hmm. out a basically a call out email. Maybe it was on Monday. Um, he's booked out through August and he's looking for presenters after that. So probably going into September, what have you. But anybody listening, if you're interested in being a presenter on Mentoring Mondays, which is a great opportunity, um, shoot Trent an email. That email is trent at mentoringmondays.xyz. Okay. So shoot Trent an email if you're interested in getting on the show as a presenter. Uh, Okay. Liquid Death Weekly Words of Wisdom. By the way, if you haven't tried Liquid Death, this Uh, water is incredible. One one of the highlights of my week is- Really? uh, I look forward to it. I absolutely look forward to it. I really do. You have to send me a case. There is- I'll I'll bring you some in November. (laughs) Oh, it's in the mail. It's on on the way. (laughs) Yeah, it's in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But there's something about drinking ice cold- semi-carbonated water out of a can. It's just different. It's way uh, different than drinking out of a plastic bottle. My new favorite is the is the lime sparkling I love one. the lime. Oh, Absolutely. Great. And I Yum. think I think the can water is where where the future's going. Completely Obviously agree. People don't like plastic bottles for yep. a lot of reasons and this is a mm. good alternative and it's the it's the coldness. There's a reason why mm. the brewers that make the beer say the canned beer is yep. the best way to do it because it kind of acts like a mini keg. I same thing with delicious water. I kind of get the same enjoyment drinking this water out of this ice cold can as I do an ice cold beer out of a can. I do not believe you, but I appreciate your comment. <laughs> I try. <laughs> what do you got, uh, This week's Liquid Death's Weekly Words of Wisdom. If you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. Boom. Don Draper, one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite show, and I think Kent can say the same thing from Mad Men. <clears throat> yes. I love it. Such a good I show. Can't, I mean, I'm probably on on our, my fourth or fifth time watching it all the way through. It's probably bad to say, but it gives me lots of inspiration around the office. Not all the bad stuff, of course. Not in my personal <laughs> yeah. life, of course, but the I really like the taking initiative and being direct and the the lack of fear of confrontation mm. and especially things like this where it's if, yep. if don't be a victim. If you don't like it, do something about it. Mm. Well done, Sean. Love it. Good job. Okay, let's get on with this. Our guest this evening, Mr. Ron Nelms, and he is a professional surveyor, of course. A little bit about Ron, some background info here. He was born in Grass Valley, California in, <clears throat> excuse me, 1956, lived there until 1967. 1967, again. Great year, apparently. Great year. Moved to Oroville, California, attended Las Plumas High. He uh, also attended Point Loma Nazarene College. I looked it up. And I will give you $100, Sean, if you know the mascot of Point Loma Nazarene College. Is it the, oh man, there's no way I'm going to get this, but I'm going to say the baby seals. Dude, you are so freaking close. The sea lions. Oh, that's worth at least at least fifty dollars. Oh my god! I, I got scared. I, I gotta say this real quick. Uh, just I don't know why I said that, but I don't know if you guys saw the video of the. It's right in uh, La Jolla where the where's this where the sea lions come yeah. in. You know, yeah. there's a video where there's a little cove where they kind of hang out, and you can go down there and walk around. Well, it's a busy weekend, and there's just tons of people out there, and the video picks up with these sea lions 
chasing all these people on the beach. Like, <laughs> like I think they were messing with them or something. And these sea lions are just wreaking havoc, and there's oh people God. just running everywhere. And it is uh, pretty hilarious because it's clear that that is their area. Oh, and so all these funny. people are trying to have a beach day, and they're just running for their lives. And I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I Been there many times. Awesome place, but. I Love actually it. sat back in my seat because I thought you were going to get it. <laughs> <You're> so <laughs> really? <close>. <laughs> he also attended uh, Chico State, go Wildcats. Uh, Ron loves to read, and he says almost to a fault, as a matter of fact. The rest of the time, he writes and keeps up on his Giants, 49ers, and Warriors. Go Warriors. Good year for uh, that team, of course. And he plays tennis, and PETA is going to love this. Ron also likes to play pickleball. Ah, you have yes. that in common. Uh, he is the has he is the owner of Nelm Surveying and has been since 1992. Um, one of the highlights of his career, he was involved in a court case that affected an entire township. This is massive. It had double monuments for section corners that were over 110 feet apart. Uh, he spent over 160 hours, six in deposition, deposition and six in the courtroom on the project. And last but not least, I uh, we always ask our, our, our guests what they're passionate about, and his response was, depends on the mood I'm in, and of course the ambiance. Great answer. Mm. Ron, thank you so much for uh, being on the Geoholics. We appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I feel like your guest a couple of weeks ago was saying he feel like he arrived and I feel like I have arrived now to be with you. Fine <laughs> All <folks> right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's a great compliment. We appreciate it. And a little backstory. I actually uh, met Ron at the Western Region Surveyors Conference in, uh, in Vegas back, what, a couple months back? When was that? January? March, I March, March, March. That's yeah. right. That's right. It all runs together. So it was great to catch up with him there. Gave me a copy of his book. And I'm like, we got to get you on sometime. So we finally got you on. So before we go forward, we have to do the uh, the Trimble Pro Point Icebreaker. This is an icebreaker we do every week. Um, our question this week is, if you could have an endless supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would that one thing be? Am I going first? Oh, yeah. That's yep. a privilege you're of being the, the guest. You're on the hot seat. <laughs> well, I was trying to delay that. It's only so I could try to think of something. An endless supply. Um, first thing that came to my mind is red licorice. Oh. I am addicted to red Ooh. licorice. That's it's just a good the one. Big, the, big mm. pan, the big bucket of them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not pretty, how I go through it. I, I growl. I yep. salivate. I... You know, it's, it's, don't get near me. Yeah. It's mine. Is, is it like that bucket of red vines that you get at exactly Costco? That's exactly what I pictured, that yeah, bucket it. of red vines. I, I picture Ron having vines. one of those at his, his home office, his office office, <laughs> beside his bed, you know, on his nightstand, everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah, that's for it. sure. Yeah, that's a good answer. How about you, Peter? Uh, I think I'd have to go with my one nice coffee a day. Oh, yeah. Mm. Bit of a coffee drinker. Oh, just one. Just one a day, that's it? One. And it's got to be, it's just got to be a nice one though. Mm. Yep, that's it. What constitutes a nice one? Uh, it's strong, <clears throat> it's smooth, it's not bitter. Fair enough. It's like heaven. <laughs> How about I, you, Sean? You, you, um, you Americans don't get coffee. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I've been there. I've been there. Not, uh, not great, huh? No. Uh, have you had Dutch Brothers? 
No. I usually like the, the <laughs> local places try. where. Yeah, a little hole in the wall kind of. Yeah, those are the best. The first thing I thought of was actually not more, is a little less tangible. I thought of, I would like an endless supply of energy. That's a good one. Ooh. That's a really good one. In general, I would just not like to get tired ever. Mm, That makes me rethink mine, but I'm not going to. So I'm going to go with pizza. Endless supply of pizza. (laughs) Could live on pizza for the rest of my life. Nothing more. All right, let's go. So Ron here is a lifelong surveyor turned author. And of course, he has written a book called Putting Big Sticks by Little Sticks. Great title. Um, I'm excited to talk to him about this. And first of all, where did this idea come from, Ron? I mean, when at what point in your career did you decide to write a book? Well, all of us, uh, the surveyors, we all have these unique stories. And if you ever sit around a group of people and and they ask you what you do for a living and you say, I'm a surveyor, well, what, what do you do? And then we have all these odd stories where we've been different places, you know, like uh, something like finding a, uh, a voodoo doll out in the middle of the woods or something, and it gets kind of creepy. And so you're telling these stories to different people. And, and one day um, I'm talking to somebody in the church I was going to, and I'm telling him the story. And he goes, you know, that's really interesting. You ought to write a book. And mm-hmm. I thought, is he telling me that because he just wants me to go away or is he telling me that because he really thought I should write a book but I took it the other way I took it like well we have interesting stories and all of us do and so I decided to write those type of things started my youth actually I started with little stories and then I decided to start when I first could remember Mm. so Uh, real quick question when was that that was 2010 so I've been doing this for 12 years. And, uh, yeah, so it's just a little bit of story at a time. So, and uh, uh, kind of what we what I did was is I wrote a couple of little chapters uh, and I sent them off to a, fr- an, a friend of mine who is a, a editor. He actually edits and he's wrote a number of books. He's actually wrote for Billy Graham. Uh, several and worked with him through way back in the 50s and 60s and i asked him i said what do you think of these stories and he said yeah it's okay but you know you might give it to your kids and and he says you might try this and so i did it and then i sent it back to him he says well this is a lot better so he eventually just we just started editing it and working with it and and so i just it's a labor of love i just just felt like i needed to write it out so so you mentioned that it it starts, you know, from, from your childhood and how long did it take you to reflect back on your life and, um, you know, really put this in writing to the point where you could put it in the form of a book? Well, I have a, my short term memory is a little shady, but my long term is pretty good. And, and I remember all the wonderful things I did as a kid and things that you did as, uh, and you, and I've always tried to tell a little story to people and stuff. So it just, it's started thinking back. It just came back to me as I started writing and started look, putting down and remembering and, and then going back and actually going back to grass Valley and, and back to Oroville and looking at the places and it just, just jogged my memory. Well, this is what happened here. Uh, even the place where I started 
surveying up in Laporte area for the Forest Service. I went there, and the camp's no longer there, but it started jogging memories. And yeah, interesting. So this is our second author. If you guys remember, we had the great Charles Hammond, and he authored a book called Ponder on a Pilgrims. And his journey is interesting. He, incredibly wise individual, much like yourself, and his idea took off via LinkedIn. He gained a huge following on, on LinkedIn and every week he would post like this, this story, you know, and it was always based on some sort of, you know, wisdom that he wanted to share and finally got to the point where everybody's like, you need to put this in a book. You need to put this in a book. And he never thought he would ever write a book in his life, you know, and he's probably 70 some years old at this point. How about you? Did you, um, I have to assume you never really thought about writing a book or did you because you're such an avid reader? Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I love to read read over 200 pages a week and just different and I got I'm anal retentive and OCD so I'll vary the types of books I read from classics to to fiction to whatever and I'll jot down a few things and wrote and I have written a little bit a few articles for the Cal Surveyor and and uh, and uh, those sort of things so and I just started feeling like I write and, and just uh begin to write it. It just it just comes out to something that you want to do. Have you done in uh, gotten into audiobooks or are you still a traditionalist on only paper? I, I yeah, no, I'm a paper guy. I like the the uh, I'm more of a paper guy. The audios I don't seem to feel like I retain as well as I'm actually reading it and mm. putting it in. Mm. And there's something about a book when you get a nice book and you're reading it and you're you're getting inside it and, and knowing what the author's trying to say or trying to read what the author's trying to tell you. Yeah, I agree with that. I just finished a book, an audio book, and I I would not know what it was actually about really. <laughs> <laughs> it was just sad. playing in the background. You have that, yeah, yeah. You just kind of drift off into another world and don't pay attention to what's going on. So I'm the same. Having that that piece of paper in your hand and actually reading the words just sinks in and resonates so much more and you can yeah. retain. Yeah. Do you think that um, writing those short articles and stuff made it easier for you to to write a, an actual book? Yeah. It, it, yeah, I think so. It just, you write a little a few articles, you get it, you and mm. and then you get the criticism or you try to edit it to it's it's uh, palatable and uh so it just started you just got a massage it's like a painting you know you start painting it and you're going like that's not what i want to say and then when you get the right word that explains mm. everything it's just like that's it there it is and i know like i said with painters or that are artists that are doing pa uh, painting uh, uh you know it's looking at it and they keep working with it you know, mm -hmm. like the Mona Lisa and Da Vinci, who just he, he couldn't seem to just get taken, put it out there. He kept carrying it around and kept working on it from from time to time. For who, what reason? Because it was there. Who knows? Yeah, and that's that. That was my question. Just just curious. Like, you know, you write down a story. Like, how many times do you go back through the same one or read it and then say, "Well, that doesn't sound." You know, how many iterations do you go through to where? you're comfortable with that's the best version or that's the best way to tell that story. Oh, countless. Sometimes it's some of the, the <clears throat> ones that I wrote were over and over again. And I give it to my editor and he says, ah, it just doesn't, 
sound, it just doesn't work or this works and and uh, so redoing it just just you just got to take your time at it mm. and that's at least what I did but I think I hear you say that having a good editor to have that perspective and give you that feedback is pretty critical oh absolutely and you got to be able to take the criticism mm. I mean and looking mm. at it from somebody else's perspective so you're well it's like writing legal descriptions you're writing down a legal description so somebody could follow you and so you're trying to work them through <laughs> the process and that's the with writing i see it as now i'm an amateur at it i'm not the the you know the professionals that some of the the greats of of your like a steinbeck or somebody but but you i do know that you just kind of just massage it through and you finally you get it after a while well i guess it sounds like you know it's interesting you compare that to writing a legal description because the whole point of that description is for not you but the reader to be able to get to the right point you know or to get to the right you know to be to be able to draw the same shape i guess Mm -hmm. and if then you compare that to writing a book it's you want them to get the point that you're trying to get across, but if they don't get there, then you didn't do it right. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, you got to be able to take that criticism. You know, Mm. this is, doesn't make sense to me. I don't know if Kent can handle that kind of thing. He Mm. tends to uh, be a little bullying when it comes to criticism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. My question is this. Um, You obviously had, an intent in mind when you decide to write this book, what, what are you hoping that the reader takes away from it? Well, I went with it. it, it I forwarded it or I dedicated it to my grandchildren. And I'm, I believe that every person has a gift, talent, affinity, something that, that you love to do, that some passionate, something that you just drawn to. And, that's the hope is that I just happened to find mine and that was land surveying. And so the hope is, is whether they want to be a surveyor or not, that somebody reading it would at least find what it is that they're, they're looking for in themselves and not be uh, repressed. Cause often we are repressed or people are repressed by our own selves because ah, I can't do that or that's silly or others suppress us. And they won't let us do what we need to do, what we want to do. And I say, go for whatever it is that you desire to do, as long as it's within the law. Okay. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, good advice for sure. Um, when you, let's see, what was my question? I had a good question. No, I can't remember it. That's not good. You got one? Well, I was just curious on, you mentioned how, you know, looking back, it was a little, you know, sometimes fuzzy or whatever like if it was if you really had to answer honestly how accurate is that early stuff you know did you are you confident and you know what they say is over time it kind of evolves into how you want to remember it versus how it was like that would be what I would be worried about is you know like I I thought it was this but you know did you get any perspective from somebody else that was there or how confident are you what of how you recalled you know when you were 10 years old well there's some artistic license in any oh sure remembrance and and i i used it and and, i mean there's it's not exactly the things that occurred 
you know, to the T, but there's, for the most part, it, this is the general, this is what transpired. Now I'm trying to recall things that happened, but then I'm taking the funny part of it, trying to make the reader engaged with it. And so the reader will look at it and says, you know, I did a stupid thing like taking the, the leaf from the kitchen uh, table and sliding down the driveway at a 15% slope and almost running into cars, you know, doing silly things as a kid that you just go, uh, today you just go, where's your helmet? Where's your seatbelt? And then bringing that leaf back to the house and your dad's going, what happened? <laughs> Are we supposed to eat off of that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I remember that same hill is just in my head. It was the biggest hill ever. And then I go back home and I yeah. look at the hill and I'm like, that is not the same hill that I remember yeah. sliding down. Yeah. And it turned out it, it is the same hill. It's just my perception over time. Right. Ron well, got bigger too, Sean. Oh, that's true. That is It's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah, yeah. Well, you t- I'm trying to look at it through the eyes as, a, as when I was a kid, not what's today uh, you know yeah. you take it and you you're trying to put the story as when you were a kid sure and and so what did it look like to you and and that's what i try to do so you mentioned your dad um talk about the impact your parents had you know like you said it is kind of a chronological uh journey of your life mm-hmm. um talk about the impact that your parents had uh, on you as a child and, you know, how, how they shaped you to be the, uh, the person you are today. Yeah. It, um, we grew up poor. I mean, I say poor in that we got a one pair of shoes at the at beginning of school and that was it. We gave her make that last one pair of pants, you know, and we, we, those had the last. And my dad was not really engaged in my life, my early early years until I turned <clears throat> till I was like tw- 13. And then there was a, <clears throat> ma- a, a major motorcycle accident between my mom and my dad. And my mom had uh, uh, quite a bit of severe head injuries. So my mom wasn't my mom after that. So my dad, mm-hmm. though, he got engaged <clears throat> and he started coming more engaged with how, my life. Before that, he was like the party, I guess you'd say he wasn't there. He was with his buddies, uh, you know, drinking or whatever. <clears throat> but after that, he changed his life after that accident. And so that completely changed our whole family. And from that, it, but he took ownership of that. And I admire him to this day because of that, because he, he realized how he really screwed up. And so he took and, and took my mom and, and nurtured her back to, to, um, health. Uh, she never really recovered, but then from then on. So I learned uh, the, the importance of perseverance and sticking with it, own up and take ownership of what you, what you've done and, and make it right as best you can. So that's, as far as that's what, for my dad and my parents of what I, I learned from them. Never give up. Just keep, you got to keep plugging ahead, keep going. Mm. Yep, for sure. And when was it that you realized that land surveying was a passion for you? Well, it became when I went to work for the Forest Service 
and up in uh, the port area, Quincy, south of Quincy, up in no Northern California, up in the mountains. And you saw, I saw uh, uh, pine trees and cedar tree, everything, and all the forest and eagles flying up in the air and bears coming down. And I says, oh, this is, and it's the math behind it, the measurement, it just got me. And I just said, this is it. This is what I want to do. And in the math, all of it encompassed and so i said i want to pursue this from here on so it was it was a working for uh the forest service doing timber sales <laughs> very very crude measurements i know people remember a clinometer and a little sunto compass and and rag tapes and and very very crude ways of doing it but it was just a logging road is what it was about but to me it was like i'm a surveyor you know, <laughs> I, i'm arrived at what i want to do and and it became this is what i and, and i was a fry cook before that mm. and i hated it i mean i was working in a restaurant i hated being inside and um, it was a short order cook that you would see at a, like a coffee house or something. And, and, but all the grease, I'd go home at night and, and the dog would run up to me and I thought, oh, is she, the dog wants to greet me. No, no, he, he was going after the French fries <laughs> in the cuffs of my pants, you know, and oh, yeah. licking my shoes because it had the grease on it. And I, it, it was just not good. I didn't like it. I mean, and, and no, nothing against the restaurant business. It just wasn't for me. And so Ron, I was also else. a fry cook, so I can I can sympathize. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I worked in a kitchen and yeah, you could have that job. So Ron, yeah. were you at school, like were you into maths and geography and things like that, or you just happened to fall into that job? Yeah, I was I was uh in high school i took math courses you know the the cal the pre-calculus classes uh the and then in college i found out that i was very proficient at college i didn't think i was but i scored in the top five percent in mathematics and uh on my on my scores and so when i went to point loma college they said you need to go to do, do math engineering mm -hmm. or math or something i said well okay then i started taking math courses there and so, yeah, I had a equivalent to, you know, took calculus and advanced, but, I, but, you know, I didn't graduate, but that was mm. another story. That's in the book. <laughs> Why not? I'm going to have to read this book, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's my math. And uh, it just, mm. I've naturally been attracted to mathematics. So. Mm. Interesting. One thing that you mentioned a couple of times uh, in the book is the importance of mentoring. Um, mm. kind of a lost art these days, unfortunately, but mm. if you could, you know, maybe talk about, um, you know, one or two of your mentors and how they shaped your career and then uh, springboard off of that and talk about the importance of mentoring. Yeah. One of the, 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 the biggest, the biggest mentor in my life, I would say is uh, my wrestling coach in high school. Mm. He taught me a lot about life. Uh, he took me under his wing and he worked my ass off though. But, you know, is, you know, you know, uh, pain is joy, gentlemen, you know, sort <laughs> of approach, you know, and, and, uh, but we did, we, he developed from my freshman year to my senior year, uh, uh, where we were North section champions, uh, and undefeated 
had a wonderful team. He put together a, a team that was just, uh, to this day, we hang out every time we go to the reunions and whatnot and live the glory days, you know, a little bit back, go back then. But he was a tremendous influence. And one of the things uh, he, and I mentioned in the book too, is that one time I was kind of coasting in my rep match and I ended up losing. And I was coasted like the first two rounds and the third round, I'm trying to catch back up and I didn't do it. And I ended up losing. And, and he just told me, he says, Ron, there's not, life doesn't allow any coasting. You have to go 100% all the time. You have to do it all three rounds. And I always remember that, that, that life isn't coasting. You got to keep going. You got to keep push for it. Mm-hmm. Another one is, is, uh, that mentored me and he, but, and keep in mind, they don't, these, they don't know they're mentoring. You don't realize they were mentors yeah, until now. And, yeah. and it was, uh, we, I called him JC and his name is actually John Christofferson. And he was a surveyor up in Oroville and it just, he was a surveyor surveyor. I mean, I don't know how to describe him. He had the green velvet hat, hand to warm mustache, <laughs> red, r- very ruddy complexion. And, and when he looked at you, you know, it's like, you better do what he told you to do. He was the alpha, you know, and so you had to follow his directions and, and I did. And so it, it, it taught me, he's taught professionalism of, of how to approach a job, even though I was a chainman, it, it made a la- lasting impression upon me. So those probably the two and outside my father as well, but th- those are the, probably the ones that mentored me the most in, in early in life. So I'm curious that, that, um, I guess, form of mentoring the, of the gentleman you just mentioned, do you think that same approach would work with uh, the younger generation of surveyors today? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I mean, uh, the gener- things have changed since I was back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and have how things are approached. Um, he was a no-nonsense guy. Today, I... I picture that the new people coming up want to more of a relationship or more of engagement then it was it was like you got a job to do go do it and so today i see the youngers wanting more relation a better a relationship get a how to get along and fun at making it fun of what you do you know it's not fun when you're hiking up and down a hill, but when you find that section corner that's been lost for hundred years and you just, oh, you know, it, it makes it worth the hike up the hill. And, and, uh, but yeah, I see a little difference today. Sure. Well, I think it's how you how mentioned that, that uh, some, like you mentioned that guy didn't know he was your mentor mm-hmm. at the time. And I think the little bit of the difference is, and maybe you can elaborate it on it is, now you it has to be very very clear of this is you know i am your mentor and mm. here is what you're supposed to get out of it and make it very upfront instead of you know the subtlety is kind of gone i guess yeah, yeah I, I agree. absolutely yeah, i agree it's it's kind of more hidden right. but i don't i don't have many young people that i engage with today i mean i have my staff is probably in the, you know, youngest is probably 40. Mm. And so, but it's just the way it's been going the way, but I've had young, young people in the past work for me and, and, uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit different to try to how do you mentor or how do you talk to them and how do you correspond? But, you know, you do the best you can. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully they see something, a work ethic is what I'm after. Yep. Peter, did you have some? Uh, well, Ron just kind of answered it. I was going to ask about his business and, and how he went about mentoring his staff or, or how it worked in his business, because I know there's been plenty of conversations lately of mentoring or getting younger people into the industry. We can't get people. We're looking for surveyors. And but for me, it's like you, you've got to find these people and bring them into your company and the employer needs to, to grow, you know, learn with them, grow with them, mentor them. Um, but you kind of answered it saying that you have got older surveyors. So, Yeah. And, and it's not that I wouldn't hire younger. It's um, it's, but I, I have a little bit of a niche in that I, most of my work is boundary um, retracement. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of boundary retracement and uh, we do, we do a lot of work with the um, um, attorney type level and that type of thing. So we need and the people that I have are, been working me with me longevity and it's difficult to find anybody that wants to work today mm. it's just that it's just that simple like it's hard i could probably hire more people but i just can't find them that willing to work sure it's difficult well you mentioned one thing that's come up a lot i've heard of the when we ask you know what was it about or how did you become passionate about surveying and a lot of the common theme is I was outside and I saw the birds chirping and the grass growing and something just clicked and it's that connection to nature and what are your thoughts on how you communicate that that is what you can get out of a career to somebody that doesn't know that I mean what you just described is what a lot of people say how do we get that out there out of you know, into the cosmos of this is what this career is. Yeah, that's a good, uh, one of the guys that works for me is uh, in his late 60s. He's even older than me, believe it or not. But he's he's a wonderful, very good party. He's been doing it his whole life, <laughs> knows how to run it. He knows everything, to, how to do it. His grandson came to work for us for just help out because I needed somebody to hold a rod, you know, and help him out in the field. And I think his grandson would rather take a job at Subway at this time. And he's a high school kid, and he'd rather take a job at Subway only because it's inside. He just didn't see the outdoors. Mm. So I, it's a good question, Sean. I mean, how do you get the younger people to see the outdoors? I think it's a lot of them are preferring, and maybe I'm wrong, it's they're preferring to be indoors. But maybe that's what they want to do, you know, and I think it's important. We find the the ones that want to be out there and want to be in the on the outside, maybe you know Boy Scouts or something or yeah. or whoever. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm sure Peter can have a better perspective on this than myself, but it's definitely a generational thing. Um, you know, the that age group that we're trying to get into the profession has spent so much time, you know, on their phone playing video games. Yeah. You know, the interpersonal connection is is missing do you know it's also um with you know with having COVID and everything over the last couple of years i think that's really going to affect us as well because so many people have been inside doing that kind of stuff they haven't had connections with people they haven't been outside they're getting used to being inside all that kind of stuff is making a bigger gap 
of being able to to get out there. I mean, we try and get out to schools and stuff and get kids into surveying and we haven't been able to do that for the last couple of years because of COVID. So mm. you've got, a, got another gap there now too. Mm. True. Mm. Well, I think kids like kids like playing in dirt. Kids like doing stuff. <clears throat> I, I think that the one, maybe just an idea I had is another common theme is the younger generation may not like to talk to people as much. And this is an opportunity where you can go out and be by yourself and not have to talk to anybody for an entire day. Sure. And maybe we should highlight that as uh, yeah, if you're scared of <laughs> using the uh, the top side of the phone, not just the tappy side of the phone, then you can uh, you can do that. That's an option too. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Work independently for sure. But it's so interesting. Like I'll I'll use our office as an example. You know, we've got a we call it the bullpen where there's like six young people sit probably fresh out of college, mid twenties, um, that work, work for Sean's group, um, have no idea about surveying. One of them has taken an interest in it and mm -hmm. has been being taught a lot of different things, getting, uh, engaged and going out and doing field work and getting to use this really cool equipment and stuff like that. And all of a sudden the other five in the bullpen are like, wow, that's really cool. What he's getting to do. I'm pretty interested in that. So it's really just exposing him to it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Oh, Sean, are you going to lose all of your uh, your little minions? Uh, I do. I have been told I cannot use the term minions to describe <laughs> oh, my <sorry>. staff. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, and I, I think it's a good thing. Anything more, uh, any more experience in a technical field, uh, and get them out of their out of their comfort zone of sitting in the office and and doing what they're comfortable with to me is a good thing. A well-rounded mm -hmm. surveyor, engineer, construction person to me is ultimately better for everybody. Well, if I could plug in a little bit, I think things are. I think it's improving our profession and getting the word out. Um, in my day, I'm one of those. <laughs> often referred to, I'm in that category, I guess, of the old surveyors that have set in their ways, you know, and, and, and I've been doing this since, I don't know, we don't want to talk about it, since 1980, <laughs> you know, and so, what is that, 42 years, and, and so I'm kind of lumped into that area where that I'm set, and I don't think I am. I think I, I'm not that way, but I do know surveyors that way. This is how you do it, and this is how it's to be done. But I see a change is happening through through the national, through what you got, what's happening with Mentoring Mondays and this podcast. I mean, this is this this geoholics is is a wonderful way I think to get out there. And I tell, I even tell my my uh, uh, networking group and business networking group about. It. I said, you know, there's surveyors who are addicted to land surveying, and there's <laughs> GIS people that are addicted to this stuff. They're, they call them geoholics, and and they they. Well, that's weird, but you know, but I think <laughs> it's weird. the, We're the a word weird bunch. <laughs> yeah, it's it's getting out there, and I think I think people like me and us. It, it, the other thing is to get involved. Not only you get involved in your school, like uh, uh, surveying for ch kids, and I I forget the exact title of that, but I'm trying to get the posters that they give yeah. out and get to the school that's down the street. Uh, I was on an oversight committee, and I got a little foot in the door say hey can i come in and help show these kids about surveying and there's it's just i see more and more of this it's getting out and it's and it's not just about we go out and put a stick in the ground it's 
we're seeing more and more where it's going to GIS type things or drones and and the technology is changing. And I think that that people that the younger generation are going to get excited about it. And, and the, if there's a demand for it, it will come. It will follow behind eventually. But this is the right approach that's I think is taking place. And it's, it's I see it getting better. Mm. Would you agree, Peter? Yeah, I agree. I think there was um, a, a really big time where surveyors just did their job, didn't talk about what they did, um, and head down, as I say, do their job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> head down, bum up, uh, do their job, um, don't advertise themselves. And mm. that's been a big detriment to our profession, really, honestly. Um, over the past few years, it's got better. And with social media and everything, I think as well. And like you said, surveyors at your age, um, they do very much, this is what we do. This is how we do it. I'm just doing my job and I don't think about anything else. But now we're going, hang on, we need more surveyors. Yeah, exactly. And and it was a detriment, you know, there was a, because of that, we're suffering a bit for it. But Mm. one of the things I would tell people to do and I was going to mention too is get involved in your uh, a service club and I use when I, I was president of CLSA in 2018 and before you know you go around to the different chapters and I would encourage one of the past presidents was involved in rotary and I got involved with rotary and but I'm not saying you have to I'll plug rotary every day but there's other service clubs get involved with whatever one that that helps you and I asked I asked the room every time I went I says how many of you involved in a service club not one hand with uh, 40 people would Mm -hmm. not raise their hand and I said how many involved with your chamber not one. So I think that that's what we need to change. We need to uh, push serve, push ourselves to say, get involved. In 2008, I came to realize that when the housing bubble burst and I had no, uh, nobody was paying me, there was no work. The first thing you don't cut is your marketing. You don't cut marketing. You, you stay with it. And I started getting involved with my chamber, and then eventually with the Rotary, a business networking groups. And through that, I build I'm, uh, uh, educating people around me of what it is I do and what it, and how important it is our profession. I think sometimes we don't realize how important what we do. Uh, one time at a conference, it said, it was, I think her name was Sussman, and she was a, uh, and she's asked the question, what would survey what would the world be like without surveyors hmm. and if you think about that yep. we don't we wouldn't have any exploration we wouldn't have any infrastructure we wouldn't yeah. have a bound property line we wouldn't have any it would just be chaotic and nomadic and style and i think it's a, that we as surveyors have to understand that how important it is of what we do and get that message out there. Yep. I agree. Um, and not be arrogant about it. You know, that's, that's a lot. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of what I see. And I, I definitely don't put yourself in this category, obviously, but there are a lot of older surveyors that um, have this sense of arrogance for whatever reason and aren't willing to share um, a lot of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, this came up uh, today, actually, we were um, talking about, you know, the term uh, lunch and learns. And uh, in business, you end up, we call them lunch and learns, where you 
And they've kind of evolved where, you know, the learning part of a lunch and learn is you introducing your services to a prospective client. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm I'm doing doing one next week and um, kind of resetting on and really focusing on the learn part is we take uh, for granted that everybody in the world knows what Mm. uh, land surveying is and some of the details that go into it and not just trying to super Mm -hmm. get into the weeds, but... I think it's interesting, and I don't. I think if we share where some of this information mm-hmm. and how it happens, and kind of get into the weeds mm-hmm. a little bit, we'll mm-hmm. catch some more interest. And people like to learn things in general. Everybody likes to learn things, yep. but if there is that that kind of you know that kind of that I'm you know don't want to admit mm-hmm. that I'm you know mm-hmm. saying the wrong words here, but it's okay to take a step back and go to the basics. And especially with, we're talking about a younger generation, maybe we go back to the basics a little bit and mm-hmm. not act like everyone already knows what we're doing. And, oh, yeah, it's just land surveying. How come how can you don't know what a section corner is? Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's actually kind of cool how those things kind of started and where they came and how they got to be where they are. Yeah. I And I'll circle back to, I think it was Bruce Buxton. Remember he talked about the three, two, one idea? Yes, yes, it's exactly. Like, That's what yeah. I was thinking about. The first yeah. three times you interact with your client or potential client, make sure it's like an educational opportunity yes. or info, mm-hmm. information opportunity or whatever. Um, absolutely. No, I agree 100%. Just showing a little bit of humility and, uh, you know, being willing to take that step back and, and share some of the basic information. You never know who that's going to touch. Right. And it just kind of, it all it takes is, a certain section to really click and catch and like, man, that is interesting. Yep. And, and I could get to do it outside and, and I don't have to talk to anybody and mm-hmm. boom, you're there. Yeah. No question. No question. It's, it's like the business club, like you're talking about being mm-hmm. in business clubs and stuff like that and, and having interactions with people from other businesses. And then you have those conversations, then they realize what you actually do. And then they know somebody that they might need a surveyor for. And then it sort of goes on from there with the relationships and stuff as well which comes from that book that we were just talking about well, that we read more that I listened to, but didn't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. The uh, don't be a stranger. Yeah, um, don't be a stranger. Yeah. 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 Mm. A lot of that was talked about in there for sure. Ron, let me ask you something. Yeah. What, what's something you learned about yourself in the process of writing this book? Something I learned about myself. Um, how to re that I have something inside me, I guess, is, I guess the thing is, is that, um, how, how can I put it? Learned about myself, of that I could stick to something, I guess, is the best way to put it that, that, uh, I learned also that I have maybe some things that were harboring and holding against people. And I learned when I write it out, when I wrote it out and I analyzed it and, you know, you, th- we think through our process, go, oh, I didn't like that person, whatever it was. And, and then, then when we, but when we write it out and we put it in words and then we realize that's well, kind of cheap, <laughs> it's kind of petty. Uh-huh. And, and I, now I, and I, then I was able to figure out why, I thought these things or why I felt that way. And then I tried to look at it from somebody else's perspective. What were they seeing? And maybe it's just because they're different. Maybe it's just they had a different view and able to work, work at it. And in the book, I, I write about uh, a divorce I went through and talked about and, and compared Euclidean geometry with non-Euclidean geometry. Um, and it was that was a difficult thing to write. And 
non-Euclidean, Euclidean is what we want the world to be. It's shapes, it's, uh, squares, it's rectangles, it's triangles, it's circles, perfect circles. But non-Euclidean is what I learned in college, in college geometry, is that it's everything else. It's what the world really is. It's The world isn't flat shape. It's sort of like staying playing coordinates. Yeah, this is what you want the world to be, but that isn't, it's just a plane, it's just a flat. And this is what we look at as surveyors. This is what we want the world to be so we can understand it. But the world is really more of non-Euclidean on the most part, is that it's everything else. So I, I brought that and says, well, maybe people don't look at it as analytical as I do. They look at it from a different point of view and that doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it different. And I think that's probably what I learned the most. Uh, that's why I hesitate a little bit because it, it is a, it is a pain. It was a painful time in my life, but it's writing through it and getting it out and trying to tell the truth exactly the way I saw it. And uh, that's probably the one chapter that I wrote about when you, I didn't try to embellish tried to write as truthful and honestly as I could. Mm. But, it sounds yeah, like you got a lot of benefit out of that, just yeah. exercise of writing it. Yes. Yeah, and I recommend it. You know, sometimes just writing it out, and then you sometimes you look at it and go, well, that's a silly thought. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but when you get it down in words it's and express it, then you go, maybe I should reword this. <laughs> Count to 10 or whatever you want to say, however you want to put it. Yeah. Where did the title come from? Well, you know, I was kind of uh, uh, sitting around and, and we talked about, uh, well, actually I put it in there is that, that we go out and, and uh, I heard a story and it was about a, sur a surveyor went out and put some, uh, marked the property corners down, put everything in, marked it, marked it everywhere and said, here's your bill. And the owner said, that's a lot of for a four sticks. I mean, that's all the commodity that he got was not it was just he paid a lot for these four sticks, but it's the knowledge of how it went in. So I so I'm trying to put it in words that the average person can understand. What do I do? I put big stick I put sticks in the ground and I tell and I get to tell people where it, where these things belong. And I think that, that what we do as surveyors and we put a stick in the ground, we're telling a story. We're telling you, this is where you should put your, your wall. This is where you should put your home. Or this is where you put the sewer or whatever it is that you're putting in. It's every stake that goes in the ground is a story. Hmm. And, and so hmm. I chose that because that's what I did in my life. I'm taking the sticks from my past and putting it together and putting it in line to say how I, how I arrived at where I'm at. And then hopefully people will, if they, you know, read it, they will be inspired by it and think about their own, their own little sticks that they put in their lives. Ron, was it difficult when you were writing the book, like working out um, what you were going to put in there or, or how you were going to sequence it and stuff like that? Cause there would be so many things going through your head about putting things into a book. How did you come up with, what you were going to put in there? Well, I'm trying to focus on how I became a surveyor. Mm -hmm. So I try, I'm going back recalling the things in life that caught, uh, that put me to where uh, as a surveyor and I ended in 92 when I started a business. Mm -hmm. But 
but I'm trying to put it together. Uh, whatever in my life uh, I had in the past, I tried to pull those stories out to that would reflect to how I got where I'm at, you know, from whatever it is, you know, the, 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 like I said, the designing of running down a side of a hill or, or, you know, the, from in high school learning how to, to mathematics and learning and wrestling and mm -hmm. learning how to work with other people, you know, so I try to theme it in that way. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. You mentioned earlier that, excuse me, boundary or legal surveying is, is your passion. You know, you've mm -hmm. kind of carved out a niche as far as, you know, providing that professional service goes. And you've also mentioned that uh, you, you like working with, with attorneys and, you know, talk, talk about that just a little bit. That's not always a case. In fact, it's not for most surveyors, but it sounds like it's something that, um, you know, you, you find rewarding. Yeah, I, I, it, attorneys, I actually do like working with most attorneys. There are some that I go, okay, you know, that, that get it, that don't quite get it. I think sur attorneys are a lot like surveyors in, in some sense in that we're, that they're systematic. And when they go to approach that they're going to go to litigation or they're going to go to the courtroom or they're trying to write whatever it is, uh, uh, um, uh, whatever paperwork they're trying to do systematically going down the line you know the whereas statements the whereas whereas and here's my conclusion and i think that they're they're researchers they they've got to know and they don't want to go into the courtroom looking foolish not knowing what they do and we as surveyors need to do that too we need to be systematic in our approach in that that um, when we're done at the end of the day we know we're right we have to we have to complete so i think i sympathize with them and then also too they they tend they organize it i've been in the uh, courtroom and watching an attorney work and how they could take this witness and put this one up here and this one behind it and they're building the story at the end of it so when th the the judge makes this, this their decision they want they're persuading them in a certain direction and so i i tend to like that i'm a, like i said i'm an avid reader you, and I, you can't bury me with too much information. I've, people can try, but I'll, I'll systematically go through it and I'll dig through trying to find what the truth is. And I think that that's, that's why I like working with them because they're, they're in that realm. And, and I chose, you mentioned about boundary. I just chose in my early in my career, <clears throat> I like boundary retracement. I love it. And I don't think there's enough around anymore that know how to do proper boundary retracement not say that i'm the know-all but there's not as many surveyors out there that i see doing boundary retracement and and uh, tending to go to that coordinate mm. rather than the boundary lines and and i always liken it to we don't survey points the client the people don't care the public do not care about a point in the ground what they want to know is where your line is where that sewer line is going to go, where that curb line is going to go, where the boundary, where the property line is. It's all about the lines. And so I think in doing boundary retracement, I think some the serve, we get too mesmerized with a coordinate. And in fact, that might be another book if this one goes, is it, say, beyond the coordinate <laughs> yeah, or something. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that we have to understand that, that, that who we're surveying it for and what's the purpose of it. And I think it gets lost in the mathematical analysis of it. And I think we need to remember that. 
Is that why you would say you, you fell in love with boundary retracement is because you get more of a story out of it or, or why, what, what turned it from a career to something that you're really passionate about? I think that's it, Sean. I think it's, it tells a story. We're trying to tell the client and, and it's, and we're working the, the, their people. These are actual people who are, are relying upon what we tell them. You know, I say in the book is like, you know, there's the we save the, the widow from the obtrusive neighbor that that's trying to put his fence over on her property. And so we're we're out there to defend that, you know, and say, no, this is your property line. And and those sort of things we got to, again, understand the worth of it, what what we do and not lose sight of that, that we we are here to protect the public as well as any public servant or anybody out there. We, our job is to protect the public as well. So that's, I think you, that's it. So. Yeah. I got, a, I got well, one quick question just because based on what you just said uh, to, to the other three, do you as a profession or a survey professional consider yourself a public servant? Um, well, we definitely take, like as as Ron mentioned, you know, public health and safety, whatever, uh, into consideration. And I've been part of many conversations where you know people who have been surveying longer than I have and are much wiser than I. They're like, it's not our job as surveyors to go into a, a, a dispute to reinvent the wheel. I mean, really, what we're trying to do is, if possible, maintain the status quo. We're not out there to you know, beat our chest and say that we can outmeasure the other guy by three tenths and set a pin three tenths away from his just because you think you're more right than he is. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd be curious to get Ron's perspective on that. Yeah, I, agree. I totally agree. I mean, I see it a lot where I'm, you know, like you say, the three tenths, I'm better measure. Then, yeah. And one of the one of the rules that I've always lived by is on a map, once it's recorded and put in there, is the map is without error. You're retracing that map. You're trying to get into the mindset of trying to put it in the position where that map was. And I think that that, as you said, you know, we we you know, just because we measure three tenths difference from a survey that was done 10 years ago. What was the method they used at that time? I mean, look at GLO maps. You know, you, they're constantly, you know, you'd be off a chain and we go, or not at all. They're not off a chain. It says 80 chains. It's 80 chains. We're different. And so we have to proportion against it and do that. We have to put our chain to their chain. And I think that we have to understand that, that we're coming secondhand behind them, especially in a retracement. So, Yeah. What's some advice you would give to a surveyor who's been called on to be an expert witness um, from two perspectives, whether it be on the, the plaintiff side or the defendant side? Is there, is there any advice on either side or both sides that you could provide? The first thing is be impartial. You are not there to have your side win. It's, you're there to give your opinion to the, to the attorneys that you're working with and let them decide what to do with the information. I, I've done several, a, a few. I says, look at, I'm getting it here. You want to continue? And I'm not agreeing I, with the, or I, I, I'm not agreeing with you or I'm not agreeing with it, but be impartial. You're, you're a referee. You're a, a, 
an umpire, whatever you, however you want to put it, it's, it's just be impartial going into it and don't bite off more than, you know, I mean, don't take something that you know, your limit. What's it? Clint Eastwood said, man's got to know his limitations. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to know what you can and can't do. And don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to research and figure, try to dig into it and learn how to do it. It takes, it takes a lot of work. It's not, it's, it doesn't come easy. It's got to take, you got to dig. And that's part of the fun though. Digging is part of the fun. (laughs) What's the feeling of, of having to um, put another surveyor up on the stand and say what you've done is wrong. Have another surveyor disagree with me. Is that, is that what you're talking? Yeah. Um, Yeah. If you're going to court over something. Well, I would say, Every survey you do, and this is what I tell clients when they approach, I says, I approach my surveys so that it's defensible in a court of law. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, I don't do it or I don't give that decision. So if another surveyor disagrees with me, that's fine. I, it's no skin off my nose. I'm giving what I think, and this is my opinion based on these facts and not put the emotions into it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's okay for a surveyor to disagree. I mean, we do all the time and sometimes it's not black and white. And that's the thing. That's what I love about surveying. It's not black and white. There are some areas of opinions. We have opinions to work with. So mm-hmm. and it's not like two plus two has got to equal four all the time. We can say, well, two and a half and one and a half equals four. We can find a yeah. different angle to come at it. So, yep. And a lot of times, you know, the occupation tells a story unto itself. And here we go, you know, back to that whole story thing. Um, and I, something else I want to circle back on that, that you mentioned that I think is super important for surveyors to to um, really take to heart is that we need to stay in our lane. You know, if we're not an expert at a particular type of surveying or what have you, yeah. stay out of that lane. You know, focus on what you're good at and you're going to get yourself in trouble when you go outside those boundaries. Well, it goes back to that humility thing. It's okay yeah. to yep. to admit that you are not an expert at something. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But yeah. I, I always thought it'd be really cool to be, and Sean and I have talked about this before, like a, a forensic surveyor. I think that'd be a really cool. Well, it sounds like that's exactly what what we have here is, yeah. is like you have to retrace the steps of how not only what the source of truth is, but mm-hmm. how that line was drawn that way. And get paid to be able to do it. I think that's <laughs> one of the things because lots yeah. of times as surveyors, you take on these projects, these surveys, and you take them on at a fee that isn't going to allow you to do the necessary research <laughs> to go back as far as you need to go. Um, it's, it's a fine line that, that we walk every day. Well, you mentioned, you know, taking it into account. Uh, just just the other day, we found we did a proportional uh, a sectional breakdown and came down with a uh, uh, we measured it off and we found a two inch by two inch wood hub, not of record, and it hit within you know a tenth of where the position we had it mm-hmm. at, and says, okay, well, somebody did something out here. They didn't record it, and then about four feet away there was um a rock pile and somebody brought this rock pile and put it in so now we're looking at says well why is there a rock pile there and what is that about and did 
did they use it? And then you mentioned the lines of occupation. And so you got to look up and say, well, did the fences go to the rock pile? Did they, what is anybody using this to think that this is where their property is? And so you have to go in in this. Well, I found a two by two. This has got to be it. You have to look and say, this is what else? What is this? And not leave the stone unturned because somebody else come behind you and says, "Well, this is what we agreed to," or something mm-hmm. to that effect. This is what I always thought it was, or whatever. So you have to take it all into account. Yep, and having those conversations, uh, you know, taking just a few minutes to knock on the door of the landowner or the adjoining landowner and just asking them a simple question. You know, what can you tell me about your boundary? Um, that could prove to be invaluable. But remember, Kent, that involves speaking to someone yes. that you don't already well, know. Maybe you can get their number and text them. Oh, yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, good stuff. Peter, did you have something look like you had a no, question I'm just, there? Um, it's, I'm just really curious as to how things work over there. Like always seeing these pictures with all these pin cushions everywhere. You just see all these and you're just going, how can that be? I still, mm. I do, I still don't get it. Yeah. I There's mean, no question. I, I would love to hear Ron's, uh, Ron's response to that. <laughs> I have my own opinions, of course, but Ron, what, yeah. what do you have to say? Yeah. Well, I was involved in a case one time where two surveyors didn't agree. I was the third party. Oh, actually, I was the fourth party. Mm. They had their, their both sides had their surveyors that went in and then there was an expert on their side and he went in and did a survey and I was asked the question by the their attorney the the uh, uh, we were the defendant and they were the plaintiffs the plaintiff's attorney said said well, don't you think you need to go survey it I said well three others have been out there what am I going to do I'm going to put a fourth <laughs> position so my job is to pick which one I thought was the right one mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if it wasn't then I say so if I don't think any of them and and so that's my job and so there's no reason for me to go out and put a fourth pipe in the ground that just confuses it even more mm-hmm. so you know we have pin cushioning and i just oh my god really i mean we you know why did you set this thing here and you better have a you know have a good reason of yeah. what it is and and there's a lots of cases in the and and out there that even though it's wrong even though it's not, not, I wouldn't say wrong. That's a bad word. Mm. Even though it's not in the position you think it should be. Right. The method was flawed, maybe flawed a bit, but everybody's relied upon it. The ju- the courts will continuously rule in that favor mm. of, the, of where the first one in, the first one in doctrine, I call it, is where first one in, they put the pipe in the ground. You, you got to come up with a reason why you want to reject that. And mm-hmm. it's better. It's got to be good, and whatever reason you can. And I'm not going to name them what reasons for it now, but you got to have a good reason why you want to reject it. And I, it's yeah, it's just. I think it's just when I see the pin cushion, and I'm going like, okay, somebody's not doing their homework. Mm. Somebody's not thinking this through. Yeah. What do you think about this perspective on the pin cushion? And uh, you know, personally, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's an embarrassment to the profession when it happens. Um, but there's also the perspective of party chiefs not knowing what they don't know. You know, they're sent out there, you know, to do this survey and go out and set these points, right? Nobody is telling them, listen, if you go set a point and there's another point there, 
it's not the right point, or maybe you should think about yeah, it. Don't set the point. <laughs> Shoot that point and send it to the office. Let me take a look at it before you set that. Let me you know, relook at it, whatever. Of course, when you're doing your initial, you know, um, you know, research and retracement, you would like to think that you're visiting these corners and finding what's there. But that's not always the case, unfortunately. And when you know you send your inexperienced party chief out there to go and set the four corners. He hears, I need to set four corners. He doesn't hear, if I go to set a corner and there's one there, maybe we need to take another look at it. So that might be another reason we get these pin cushions. Could be. Yeah. And, and I think it's important that mentoring comes back in yep. is that, that training that, you know, processes of how to train that young party chief and to do and the method you want them to do. And it's, it's, it's a tough one. I, I, I personally, I've in my career now, I don't have that. I shouldn't say that or get jinx myself or something, but, yeah. but right now I, I have a pretty good staff that, that does what I wanted to do, but I, I went through a lot of hard knocks to get here, mm-hmm. you know, to get to where I, uh, I have my staff today. And, and yeah, I've been through there a few times. What was that all? What are you doing? Sure. And, and but retracing behind that party chief and saying, you know, tie locating the points. I mean, one of the things methods we use is, you know, you shoot the point. I mean, you set the point and then you shoot it again and make sure it hits on that. And what else did you do? Keep hmm. good notes. And, uh, you know, just it's quality control continually, sure. you know, but hmm. um, as, as young or as, bigger staff, bigger companies have, it isn't a problem and they got to watch it, you know, do what you can to prevent it. Sure. But sure. A, t- a time and cost thing as well. Mm-hmm. What's it? Yeah. The, the, a time and cost thing. They've, they've, they've costed a job on a certain amount of time and they've just got to go out there and set what they've got to set without even thinking about what they're doing. They're just been given a file and you go out and do this without thinking about the actual job. Yeah. Pete, I got to ask you, you, so you, you find entertainment when you see these pictures posted on social media about, you know, pin yeah. cushions and things like that. Do you not see, or is it not that much of a problem in uh, Australia? Not like that. No? No. Why do you think that is? Um, you know, we, well, I, I don't know if it's how we do our, our definitions differently. I mean, like I know that you can come from one end of a street of certain marks and define a boundary and then come from the other end of the street and you might be slightly off. Um, we're not off much and you have to determine which is the actual boundary or why, because we have to go by that deposited plan. That is the boundary. There's reference marks that define that boundary. We set up, we do the connections, we put the mark in. So if you're working off a certain DP, that's the that's what you are defining those boundaries by. You're marking those boundaries by that plan. You, if you're if you think it's different, you've actually got to do a plan of redefinition and justify why it is mm. and get it registered with the lands department, all of that sort of stuff. So yeah. Interesting. It's, mm. it's different. And it's you know, surveyors I mean, we're at God, round on an island so many times. And, you know, it's unfortunate, like I'll use Arizona as an example, not everybody records their surveys, you know, so that makes it really, really difficult, especially when you go out there and you find a pin or whatever that particular mark is, you have no idea how I got there because you can't find the survey that was, uh, that was done because it wasn't recorded. And then, you know, you really have to, um, sometimes you go by feel, <laughs> you know, is really, really kind of what it boils down to. But I like what you said early in the conversation, Ron, where it's like, every time I do a survey, I approach it as if it's going to go to court and I need to be able to defend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
exactly. Yeah, I think that's a. I try to do it that way as much as I can, sure. you know. And and uh, but yeah, I think it. Again, they're dependent on us to do to tell them the right thing to do. And a lot of times it doesn't do anything. But that one, I'm one of those. I got too many skeletons in the closet I don't know about. Why do I want to put one in there I do know about? Exactly. Yeah, that's a yep. great point. Mm. Yep, for yeah, sure. The, the difference between ours and, and you guys as well is that we don't we don't put pins in the corners of our boundaries. Hmm. We'll put in a in a peg, a boundary peg, because mostly they're going to put up a fence or something like that. So that gets taken out. So our boundaries are defined by our reference marks outside of the actual boundaries interesting and what's the do you have a uh, like a, uh, a state not state but do you have a specific coordinate system that all of your surveys are are done in yeah yeah we we use mga well it was mga 94 now mga 2020 coordinate system yeah. interesting interesting ron what do you think about this uh the realignment of the state plan coordinates you know I'm going to go with that's not my expertise. Yeah, right, <laughs> you sure. Know, you know, I mean, there, um, this, I don't use a lot of state plan coordinates, and it's, it's just doesn't, it's not what I do a lot. But, um, you know, if they, the state plan that we have, I think it's you need to update it. You need to get it to the new system. In fact, mm-hmm. when I was uh, a part of when I was president of CLSA, I had a, a guy by the name of John Tosto. Shout out to John if he's listening. But he took the bull by the horns and went in and, and got people to uh, and Rich Maher as well. And they went in and got all the not all the benchmarks, but I think it was like 80 percent of the benchmarks in California wow. so that they could be put to the new datum and uh, so i think it's we need to update we need to get it to a a more of an updated system Uh, so that's about as much as i know about state plan coordinates and as as uh, that's not like i said not really my expertise but i think it probably always say it would needs to be updated more uh, updated as much as we can to get it more Mm -hmm. realistic especially with um you know you have navigation systems mm. yeah you know airplanes and and uh, boat uh, ships that need to rely upon a good navigation system and if it's not correct you, know, you could have a lot of problems you know a plane flying landing 10 feet to thinking the ground's a little 10 feet further down and you know we don't want that so yeah. i think it's important i think there's some importance to, to keep it updated but let me ask you, uh, this is kind of a funny question, I guess. And I mean, you're obviously old enough to have done probably hundreds of these in the past, and I've done a few. Um, when was the last time you did something crazy like uh, took a Polaris shot? A Polaris shot? Yeah. I, I didn't... I didn't do a Polaris, but I did a sunshot, and it was up in the up in the mountains northeast of Bakersfield. And the owner wanted to make sure her kitchen window hit exactly in the middle, exactly east where the sun was going to, and it, so it would be the sun would set in further north in the summer and then further south in the winter. And she wanted that right in the middle. And so I did a, a solo, I mean, they had no state plane coordinates. I had nothing up there. So I just, I did a solar. <laughs> I'll burn my eyeball out, but it, it was, uh, That's it was, awesome. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Cool. Hmm. What else? You guys got anything else? Anything book related? 
No? No, we covered a lot. Is there anything else about the book you want to make sure uh, you share, Ron? Like maybe where folks can get it? Yeah, it's a, you can go to Book Baby. Um, that's where my publisher is. And uh, also it's on Amazon and uh uh, uh, Barnes and Noble. It's in a Kindle. It's it's all the it's all set up for all that. I don't know if it's an audio uh, audio for PETA, but I'll, I'll work on that one. <laughs> but then, but since she'd have to read it and under yeah, read it, yeah. <laughs> PETA, maybe but if you're. I need to get. I can get the Kindle. I can get the Kindle app. Ah, uh, yeah, Kindle. Kindle's yeah. good. Yeah, Kindle's good. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, that's where you can get it. That's awesome. Peter, maybe if you're really nice, Ron will call you like once a week and read a chapter to you. <laughs> well, <that'd be> <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I, I say this jokingly, but I, I tell my tell people that a good marketing tool is take that book, put it by your nightstand, and if you can't sleep, just read a couple of chapters and you're down. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. So, you know, this, I think this is going to be a good, appropriate question, um, you know, based on, you know, what's the content of the book. What's, uh, what, what do you, what do you, what, how do I want to say this? What do you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger? Uh, <laughs> you know, it, you gave me that question earlier and I, I started, I stumbled on that one a little bit and I says, I don't know if I change anything. I, I mean, I don't know, except for maybe uh, people that I might have offended and hopefully that they would forgive me for what I did, said or did to them. But and then hopefully they're moving on. But I think I alluded to that a little bit earlier, but I, I don't think I, you know, uh, change anything. And I know it's kind of I just don't have anything in there for that. I, I loved what I you know, my life. Life is good. It goes with good. It goes with bad. And that's what makes it. That's what makes it great. I, uh, one of my favorite things to, you mentioned something about a mantra I live by, and I like uh, Paul Coelho's book, The Alchemist. And he said in there that the boy was got. If you read the book, he he was going over sea over the ocean and and got into North Africa and lost everything. Oh, everything. And his he didn't know the language. He didn't know the culture. He didn't know anything. So he stood there and he's contemplating. He says, well, I can either choose to be a victim or a boy on an adventure. I choose to be a boy on an adventure. So that's oh, I my, that. yeah. I, that's, so that's what your I, mantra? I, that's my mantra. I'm a boy no. on an adventure. I love so. it. Yep, love it. That's a great one. That top was gonna top be my five, question, I think. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I might even steal that one. We'll see. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I get it from Paul Coelho. He's the one who wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else, Ron? I've got to tell you, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Anything else you want to you want to make sure that you get out there? Oh yeah, no. I just this is a great show. I'm I'm now a geoholic. I don't know if there's any recovery. Is there some sort of like AA thing I go to to get get out of it? <laughs> but I don't right now. I don't. I, I love your shows and recommend it to everybody. Even even the people who are not surveyors, I recommend it to them to listen. And mm -hmm. it's a it's a good show. Uh, the recovery right program to... is uh, on Spotify, and you listen to previous episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. You're right up there with Joe Rogan. Okay, oh, and ho man. hopefully I didn't do a, uh, um, uh, what was his name, Malone on you. <laughs> no, no, you did great. Uh, and again, we really I've, appreciate I've your one. time. I've got one yeah, quick yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ron, when is your next book going to come out? There you go. 
I don't know. Like I said, I may, <laughs> I may go for beyond the coordinate or something like that, but I don't know. We, we, we're thinking through it, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Ron. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Good seeing you guys. All right. There we go. That's a wrap. Another value-adding, friend-making show, that is for sure. Thanks to our loyal friends of the program, just like Trent Keenan and Mentoring Mondays for believing in us. Be sure to mention you're a geoholic when you reach out to any of our friends of the program. Download the new and fully updated Geoholics app from LandSurveyorsUnited.com, from which you can access all of our episodes. <laughs> Send us an email. Uh, at info at the if you have any content ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show. Last but not least, pay it forward, add value, make friends, Fleetwood Mac. I don't want to know, available everywhere. Until next time, everybody, be safe and healthy. Thank you to our 2022 friends of the program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, AGSGPS.com, Airworks, airworks.io, Bad Elf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, extremearialproductions.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz. Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com. Nettleman LC Prep, lcprep.com. North Star Surveying, northstarsurveying.com. ProStar Corporation, prostarcorp.com. Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us. Topodot, new.certainty3d.com. And finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.